The scripture that speaks of God writing you on his hands has immense significance. Pastor Ed Ray explains. God likes you. He cares about you. He loves you. He thinks about you, and he wrote you on his hand. Now, what about that hand? All the cosmos, all creation is measured by the span of his hand. What's the span? The distance from your thumb, the end of your thumb, to the end of your little finger. God has the entire cosmos in his hand. So I think he might be able to handle my problems, and maybe yours, and maybe all of us together on planet Earth. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. If you're wondering why Jesus would not only think about you, but love you, well, you're not alone. The psalmist sure did. So did the writer of Hebrews, as we'll hear today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Welcome. Pastor Ed is making his way through the book of Hebrews, and in chapter 2, we're warned about the danger of drifting and becoming distant in our relationship with the Lord. We begin today with Pastor Ed encouraging those who have drifted to come back. God is ready to restore. Today you will be with me in paradise, or neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or, and while the son was far off, the father ran to him and fell on his neck and he wept and he said, my son that was dead is now alive. That's Jesus. It's not you sinner. It's you are a sinner. Come, I can fix that. And I love you and will do that. The things that we have heard the things that we accept, the things that we embrace in our life. I read a great illustration of this lady's uh, in her home in Texas, and they're doing a door-to-door Gallup poll about religious subject. And a guy comes to the door and asks if he can ask her a couple of questions about her own beliefs. And she said, oh, sure. And a little girl standing next to her. And he said, so do you own a copy of the Bible? And she said, oh, of course I do. And he said, Good. Next question. Do you read it often? She said, oh, yes, absolutely. Honey, go get my Bible. Little girl runs in. And he asks a couple of other questions about church attendance and things. And then little girl comes back holding the Bible. And as she hands it to her mom, a pair of glasses fall out on the ground. And the woman says, oh, those glasses. I've been looking for them for three years. <laughs> we drift, don't we? <laughs> and then you do the math and you go, When was the last time I prayed? When was the last time I just sat down and read? The Bible's filled with people who drifted. They didn't see it coming. It says Lot, you know, Simon Gomorrah, the nephew of Abraham. He he looked out across the valley and he saw the city of Saul. And he said, "I, I need to move there. That's a great place. So he moves in that end of the valley. And then you read a little further and it says, and he moved up to the city. And then you read a little further, and it says, he's in the city. He's moved into downtown Sodom. He's drifting, and he doesn't see it himself. 
God rescues him from that. Samson, gifted for leadership. I mean, here's this massive hulk of a guy, and he's strong, and he's been declared a judge of Israel, but he has this one little problem, and he keeps going to this woman, and he finds himself drawn off until finally he's chained and he's blinded, and he's pulling a mill wheel around a Philistine temple, grinding grain like an ox. And he calls out to God. He finally realizes that he's drifted far from God. Children of Israel themselves, they're traveling across the, the Sinai. One day the miracles are just popping. You know, we got a, a cloud by day, so we're in shade, and a fire by night, so we got a nightlight, and we're going through the desert, and Moses is hitting rocks, and water's coming out of solid rocks, and throwing trees into springs that were bitter, and all of a sudden they're fine, and, and these miracles are just happening. And then the next thing you know, they're doing crazy things. How about that whole golden cow thing while Moses is up getting the law? Drifting, <laughs> serious drifting. King David, at the time of the year when kings go to war, David was home, hanging out on the top of the palace, looking at the neighbor's wife, ends up murdering her husband and takes her. So throughout the Bible, men and women who knew God at least as well as any of us in this room, probably more so, drifted. So we shouldn't think it's strange that we find ourselves drifting and we get back by obeying what Jesus said. We have a couple here that go to Telluride in the winter to ski, and they told me a couple years ago there was a major storm in Telluride, and they volunteer for the ski patrol, and they went up and put signs out, more than 100 signs that said, avalanche warning, do not cross. Just this huge buildup of snow, of course. But some snowboarders from Southern California, of course, where else, decided that they'd go across it. And they started an avalanche a half mile wide. And four of them perished. A half dozen more made it out. But because they just ignored, and they were covered, if you will, by a drift. Verse 2, for if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, true, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, you can't ignore them. What the angel said needs to be taken seriously. How much more, the argument is, for Jesus, verse 3. How shall we escape? Escape what? The guilt of our own sins, of what we've done. Nobody else's, just my own. How shall we, again, the author includes himself, escape if we neglect, drift? So great a salvation, great a salvation. Salvation for eternity we're talking about. We're talking about the whole enchilada. We're talking about time without end, infinity and beyond, as they say. So God is offering to us this great salvation, not based upon our deserving it, but he's saying, this makes sense. I did this for you. I, I love Isaiah 1. Come now, let us reason together, God says, you and I. It's logical. It's rational. Let's reason together. Ed? Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, bloody, 
I will make them as white as wool. God says it's a reasonable thing. I offer you eternity based upon what Jesus did, not based upon what you did. And I remove your sins as far as the east is from the west and release you from the shackles that you put yourself in of sin without me. If we neglect, ignore, forget about this great salvation, great in scope, available for every person on the planet, God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Jesus tasted death for every man. Carefully consider the words of Christ by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by these who heard him. So again, it's the words of Jesus. I'm saying the antidote is when you're drifting, open John. Open Matthew, Mark, Luke, read the words of Jesus, and they'll draw you in. What was he saying? He was talking about the good news, the gospel, salvation. Listen, Mark 1.14. Now, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking about the good news that I just talked about to you, that God died in our place while he was on planet Earth. We get, rightly so, focused on the miracles. I mean, astounding miracles. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But he's talking about a free gift of eternity based upon what he's doing. Verse 38. He said to them, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogue the good news. So you and I are sharing the same things that Jesus shared with his disciples, those who were listening. And then they shared it with the next generation. They shared it with the next generation all the way down through 2,000 years. And we keep checking back with the words of Jesus so we know we're on track. Confirmed to us by those who heard him. Side note, you can go study this if you want. I believe that this is written by the Apostle Paul, but this verse stumbles some expositors, confirmed to us by those who heard him, and it seems to be saying that the writer of this letter did not hear Jesus. And Paul asserts in Galatians 1.1 that he heard from Jesus specifically, and again in 1 Corinthians. So this makes some people say that the writer had not personally heard him, but it could be as simple as he didn't hear him while Jesus was alive. He heard him after he was resurrected from the dead which Paul would have, and he didn't see the miracles directly because he only spoke to Jesus as a resurrected Jesus, okay? And I gave you the reasons why I believe it's Paul, but I could be wrong. But just remember, if you disagree, you have to live with me in heaven for eternity. Verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So not only did God speak, in words, but he also brought signs, wonders, and various miracles. Now, as a new Christian, I was trying to figure out what's the difference. There is a, a difference. The Gospel of John, John calls the miracles Jesus did signs. Signs that Jesus is the creator over all the earth, the God over chemistry and physics and mathematics and astrophysics as signs so that people would hear about it, read it, and see that he was the creator. Wonders and miracles are also the same thing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the book of Acts. So all three of those things, signs, wonders, and various miracles, are what Jesus did when he was on earth. And gifts of the Holy Spirit right up through Pentecost. Gifts of the Spirit, you don't believe in those, Pastor. Whew, 
Yes, 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 yes. You need the Holy Spirit's power within you. Holy Spirit comes into every person when they receive Jesus. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. But God has more. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is, leaks out of us. We're supposed to give him away. And then we ask for more. This is Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is encouraging us to receive all that the Lord has for us to experience and more. And there is more to experience. To explain, here again is Pastor Ed. Here's the way the Apostle John said it. That which was from the beginning, before time began, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. He's talking about touching Jesus. Can you imagine if you were John? I think this is what he's talking about. He's at the Last Supper, and it says Jesus had him put his head on Jesus' chest. And then all of a sudden the realization comes to you, I have my head on God's chest. That's what he's talking about. I don't think he knew it at the moment. He's writing this after Jesus has risen from the dead. But he said, we saw all this. For the life was manifested, displayed, and we have seen it and bear witness and show to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and displayed and manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we to you that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we have faithfully given to you. You can read John's gospel and be assured that he faithfully recorded the words of Jesus. Why is that important? Because this is about not drifting. And the way to pull back from the cliff, from the edge of the cliff, is to spend time in Jesus' words that were confirmed by, and read the miracles and the signs, because they're pretty amazing too, verse 5. For he has not put the world to come for which we speak in subjection to angels. Whew, seems like a hard right, a uh, big change. It, it is, but the logic is that we should not neglect this great gift of salvation. We shouldn't drift because you're going to rule the world. What? Yes, read on subjected to angels? No. This world right now is subjected to angels. What do you mean? Angels are running? Well, yeah, kind of. The bad ones. Jesus said that Satan is the god of this world, of this age, that he rules and reigns. Why? Because man gave it up, gave it over to him. That little snake incident there in the garden. Verse 6. But one testified in a certain place. Now, remember, he's writing to Jews. They know it's David, their king. This is Psalm 8. We started with it. What is man that you should think of him and the son of man that you should care for him? What is a human being, male or female, that God, you would even care about them? What's he saying? He's saying we are so infinitesimally small. Why would God even consider us? You see, God is huge. Just think physical size and put aside the idea of his power, his miracle working power, his omniscience, his ability to be in multiple places, uh, and his understanding of everything. Put that aside and just think of size for a moment. So it says, Isaiah 43, that God has written your name on his hand. It's very specific. It says your name on his hand. Oh, there's some other names there, but your name is there. 
God cares about you. He thinks about you. Psalm 139 says, his thoughts about you, towards you, are more numerous than the sand of the sea or the stars in the cosmos. God likes you. He cares about you. He loves you. He thinks about you, and he wrote you on his hand. Now, what about that hand? All the cosmos, all creation is measured by the span of his hand. What's the span? The distance from your thumb, the end of your thumb, to the end of your little finger. God has the entire cosmos in his hand. So I think he might be able to handle my problems, and maybe yours, and maybe all of us together on planet Earth. So his hands are huge. Why would you even think about us, God? Why would you even consider us that you're mindful of him? that you care, that you take care of us, protects us, keeps us from getting in trouble. Is there any meaning to life? That's what this is saying. This is one of the ontological questions. The three big ones, who am I? Why am I here and where am I going? God has a plan for you. You are going to eternity and you may go to one section or the other, smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> Sorry. Having been an atheist myself for the first 26 years of my life, I admired men who were bold, brash atheists. You know, just get in your face. Bertrand Russell, a humanist, brilliant guy. But I, I, I really liked him until I read what he said. And we're talking about the idea of what life leads to. Here's his definition. The life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none may tarry long. You might get to your goal, but you're only going to be there for a short time and you're gone. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight. People are dying all around us. Seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death, brief and powerless is man's life. On him and on all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on in its relentless way. For man, condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gate of darkness. It remains only to cherish, ere yet the blow will fall, and lofty thoughts that ennoble his little short day vanish. Isn't that happy? What a happy little thing to have in your kitchen on the wall or something. <laughs> No wonder the vast majority, I have a book in my library, 17 atheists who committed suicide. 17 of the world's greatest atheists, and they all committed suicide. Why? They believed this. They had no hope. But compare that with what Jesus said. The Son did not come to condemn the world, but through him that the world might have life, eternal life. You made him a little lower than the angel. This is Psalm 8 crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. So, lower than the angels, humanity was made Lord. This is talking about humanity, males and females. Angels were created by God with supernatural powers. They have continual access physically to the throne of God. We can go there prayerfully. Angels are not subject to death. Humans, although slightly lower, something will happen in the future. We had rule over the creation, and we blew it. Verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, humanity, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that was not put under him or her, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. 
Adam gave it away. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, his own choice. He set aside his own power, laid it down, and became a servant. But we can see Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus is what this is saying. Made a little lower than the angels for the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, by the gift of God, by the unearned favor of God, by unmerited gifts given to you, believer, tasted death for everyone. God would that none would perish. His desire is that everyone would spend eternity with him. We'll close with a little word from Max Lucado. A revival can begin with one sermon. History proves it. John Eglin had never preached a sermon in his life. I'm giving this because some of you are drifting, and this message is designed to pull you back. One sermon can do that. It wasn't that John Eglin didn't want to preach a sermon. He just never needed to. But then one morning he did. The snow left his town of Gloucester, England, buried in white. When he awoke on that January Sunday in 1850, he thought of staying home. Who would go to church in such weather? But he reconsidered. He was, after all, a deacon. And if the deacons didn't go, who would? So he put on his boots, hat, and coat and walked six miles to the Methodist church. He wasn't the only member who considered staying home. In fact, he was one of only a few who came, 12 members and one visitor. Even the minister himself was snowed in. Someone suggested they'd just go home. Eglin would hear none of that. They'd come this far, and besides that, they had a visitor, a 13-year-old boy, but who would preach? Eglin was the only deacon. It fell to him. He could have just left the church closed that day, but he needed to keep serving the Lord to keep his own relationship with God fresh. Didn't want to drift himself. So he did. His sermon lasted only 10 minutes. Those who heard it said he was so nervous, he rambled and repeated himself, drifted, and made no point at all in an effort to make several points. <laughs> but at the end, an uncharacteristic courage settled upon the man. He lifted his eyes, looked straight at the 13-year-old boy in the back row, and challenged, young man, look unto Jesus. Look, look, look. Did the challenge make a difference? Let the boy, now a man, answer, quote, I did look, and then and there, the cloud of my heart lifted, and the darkness rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun. The boy's name? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers of England. Did Eglin know what he had done? No. It wasn't until years later that anyone discovered that Spurgeon, by one sermon, was changed for all of his life. Someone who was drifting, who knew about God but wasn't following him, would spend eternity with God and his life leading others to God's throne of grace. We're going and growing through Hebrews right now on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. 
And if a question comes to mind, or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. Pastor Ed Ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website. You can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on his channel TV, where we're studying Colossians right now. Our series in Hebrews continues next time we meet, and we hope you can join us for that. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love.